body aches at bedtime, Sierra Sil is a natural mineral supplement that supports joint health, calms inflammation, and we're so sure it'll work for you as it has for me and my husband for over 10 years. It has a money-back guarantee. Go to sierrasil.com, S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L, and use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to DRIFT. A place of fairy tales and stories that I hope will help take you away to a land of make-believe and happy endings. Made possible by Envy Pillow. It's a Canadian-designed ergonomic pillow that cradles your face and aligns your spine and was created by Kathy and Kim, two registered nurses with your health and the planet in mind. Learn more in the morning at Envy. Envypillow.com. This is from the Book of Dragons, written by British author Edith Nesbitt. Before we share with you the fiery dragon, or the heart of stone and the heart of gold, reimagined just for you and this drift sleep story, let's get you into a place of relaxation. As you stretch out or curl up wherever you feel most at ease in your bed, I want you to join me now in taking a deep inhale. And as you do, think of the gift you're giving yourself right now, this gift of time, sweet escape. And as you exhale, release the cares of your day, for tonight they will wait. And we are just here together, you and I, right here, right now. Let your arms and legs feel heavy. Release your jaw, your shoulders, your brow, and your neck. Find that spot on your pillow that is just right. And if you're ready, and you're in that perfect place we shall drift the little princess always woke when the birds began to chatter in the pearl gray morning she would run up the twisting turret stairs and stand on the top of the tower and kiss her hands to the sun and to the woods and to the sleeping town and say good morning pretty world Then she would run down the cold stone steps and dress to begin the day's housework. For of all who should have served her, only one remained faithful, her old nurse, who had lived with her in the tower all the princess's life. And now the nurse was old and feeble. The princess did all the housework herself, while nurse sat still and did the sewing. Because this was a real princess with skin like milk and hair like flax and a heart like gold. Her name was Sabrinetta, and her mother was Sabra, who married St. George after he had killed the dragon. And by real rights, all the country belonged to her, from the woods and fields to the orchards and vineyards as did the small town itself that rested in the hollow between the sea 
where the whirlpool was, and the mountains, white with snow and rosy with sunrise. But when her parents died, leaving her cousin to take care of the kingdom till she grew up, he, being a very evil prince, took everything away from her, that is, except the great dragon-proof tower that her grandfather, St. George, had built, and one servant, the good nurse. This was why Sabrinetta was the first person in all the land to get a glimpse of the wonder. Very early, while all the townspeople were fast asleep, she ran up the turret steps and looked out. At the other side of the field, there was a green, ferny ditch and a rose-thorny hedge. And then came the wood. And Sabrinetta saw a shaking and a twisting of the hedge. And then something very bright and shining wriggled out through it into the ditch and back again. It only came out for a minute, but she saw it quite plainly. And she said to herself, Dear me, what a curious, shiny, bright-looking creature. If it were bigger, and if I didn't know that there had been no fabulous monsters for quite a long time now, I should almost think it was a dragon. The thing, whatever it was, did appear rather like a dragon, but it was about as long as a hearth rug. Of course, it's quite safe for me in my dragon-proof tower said Sabrinetta. But if it is a dragon, it's big enough to eat people. And today's the first of May, and the children go out to get flowers in the wood. When Sabrinetta had done the housework, she put on her milk-white, silky gown with the daisies stitched on it and went up to the top of her tower again. Across the fields, troops of children were going out to gather the May and the sound of their laughter and singing came up to the top of the tower. I do hope it wasn't a dragon, whispered Sabrinetta. Then, quite suddenly, a cloud passed over the Mayday sun, and she heard shrieks from far off. And like a torrent, all the children burst from the wood. Their voices came up to the princess on her tower, calling, Open the gates! The dragon is coming, the fiery dragon. And they swept across the field and into the gate of the town. And the princess heard the gate bang, and the children were out of sight. But on the other side of the field, something very large and glaring and horrible trampled the ferns in the ditch for one moment before it hid itself again in the covert of the wood. The princess went down and told her nurse, who at once locked the great door of the tower and put the key in her pocket. Then Sabrinetta went up again to the top of her tower and cried when she thought of the children and the fiery dragon. For she knew, of course, that the gates of the town were not dragon-proof and that the dragon could just walk in whenever he liked. The children ran straight to the palace and told the prince what had happened. Good sport, said the prince, and he ordered out his pack of hippopotamuses at once. It was his custom to hunt big game with hippopotamuses, 
and people would not have minded that so much, except for how they ran amok through the marketplace, destroying everything in their path. The prince rode out of town with his hippopotamuses trotting and frisking behind him. The pack squeezed through the town gates and off across country to hunt the dragon. Few of you who have not seen a pack of hippopotamuses in full cry will be able to imagine at all what the hunt was like. To begin with, hippopotamuses do not bay like hounds. They grunt like pigs, and their grunt is very big and fierce. Then they just crash through the hedges and lumber through the standing corn, doing serious injury to the crops and annoying the farmers. The prince always said it served them right for leaving their crops standing about in people's way. So now, when he and his pack went out, several people in the town whispered, I wish the dragon would eat him, which was very wrong of them, no doubt. But then, he was such a very nasty prince. They hunted high and low, and just as the prince was beginning to think, there was no dragon at all. The whole pack charged downhill toward the hollow by the wood, for there, plain to be seen, was the dragon, as big as a barge, glowing like a furnace and spitting fire and showing his shining teeth. The hunt is up, cried the prince, and indeed it was. For the dragon, instead of running away, ran straight at the pack, and the prince, perched on his elephant, witnessed as his prize pack was swallowed up one by one in the twinkling of an eye by the dragon they had come out to hunt. Soon, the dragon was looking anxiously around to see if he had forgotten anything. The prince slipped off his elephant on the other side and ran into the thickest part of the wood. He hoped the dragon could not break through the bushes there, since they were very strong and close. He went crawling on hands and knees, and finding a hollow tree, he crept into it. The wood was very still. The prince drained the silver hunting bottle slung from his shoulder and stretched his legs in the hollow tree. He never shed a single tear for his poor, tame hippopotamuses, who had followed him faithfully in the chase for so many years. For he was a false prince, with a skin like leather and hair like scrub brushes and a heart like a stone. He never shed a tear, but he just went to sleep. When he awoke, he crept out of the tree and rubbed his eyes. The wood was dark about him, but there was a red glow in a dell close by. It was a fire of sticks, and beside it sat a ragged youth with long yellow hair. All around lay sleeping pigs breathing heavily. Who are you? said the prince. I'm Elfin, the pig keeper, said the ragged youth. And who are you? I'm tiresome, the prince, said the other. I've been hunting. The pig keeper laughed. Oh, it was you I saw then, 
My pigs and I were looking on. If you had known as much as I do, you might have saved your pack. What do you mean, said Tiresome. You went out at the wrong time of day. The dragon should be hunted at night. He will come and hunt you tomorrow, as likely as not. I don't care if he does, you silly prince. You're very rude, said Tiresome. Oh no, only truthful, said Elfin. Well, tell me the truth then. What is it I should have done to not lose my hippopotamuses? What will you give me if I tell you? Half my kingdom, said the prince, and my cousin's hand in marriage. Done, said the pig keeper. Here goes. The dragon grows small at night. He sleeps under the root of this tree. I use him to light my fire with. And sure enough, there under the tree was the dragon on a nest of scorched moss, and he was about as long as your finger. How can I kill him? asked the prince. I don't know that you can kill him, said Elfin. But you can take him away if you've brought anything to put him in. That bottle of yours would do. So between them, they managed with bits of stick and by singeing their fingers a little to poke and shove the dragon till they made it creep into the silver hunting bottle. And then the prince screwed on the top tight. Now we've got him, said Elfin. Let's take him home and seal the mouth of the bottle. And then he'll be safe enough. Come along, we'll divide up the kingdom tomorrow. And then I shall have some money to buy fine clothes to go courting in. But when the wicked prince made promises, he did not make them to keep. Go on with you. I found the dragon and I've imprisoned him. I never said a word about courtings or kingdoms, and if you say I did, I shall cut your head off at once. And he drew his sword. All right, said Elfin, shrugging his shoulders. I'm better off than you are anyhow. See, you've only got a kingdom and a dragon, but I've got a good heart and 75 fine black pigs. So Elfin sat down again by his fire, and the prince went home and told his parliament how clever and brave he had been. Then the bottle was sealed and put in the treasury, which was the strongest building in the town, and was made of solid copper, with walls as thick as Waterloo Bridge. But as the townspeople slept, the bottle swelled to three times its proper size and seemed to get nearly red hot. And the bottle got bigger and bigger until it burst. And out came the dragon, very fiery, and swelling more and more every minute. And he began to eat the sacks of gold and crunch up the pearls and diamonds and rubies in the treasury as if they were candies. By breakfast time, he had devoured the whole of the prince's wealth. And when the prince came along the street at about eleven, he met the dragon coming out of the broken door of the treasury with molten gold still dripping from his jaws. Then the prince turned and ran for his life. And as he ran toward the dragon-proof tower, the little princess saw him coming 
and she ran down and unlocked the door to let him in and slammed the dragon-proof door in the fiery face of the dragon, who sat down and whined outside because he wanted the prince very much indeed. The princess took Prince Tiresome into the finest room. She served him the best meal, just as thoughtfully as she would have done if he had been anyone else instead of the bad prince who had taken away her kingdom and kept it for himself because she was a true princess and had a heart of gold. When he was full, he begged the princess to show him how to lock and unlock the door. The nurse was asleep, so there was no one to tell the princess not to, and she did. You turn the key like this, she said, and the door keeps shut, but turn it nine times around the wrong way like this, and the door flies open. And so it did. And the moment it opened, the prince pushed the sweet princess out of her tower, just as he had pushed her out of her kingdom, and slammed the door, for he wanted to have the tower all for himself. And there she was, in the street, and on the other side of the way, the dragon was sitting whining. But he did not try to eat her, because, even though the old nurse did not know it, dragons cannot eat princesses with hearts of gold. The princess could not walk through the streets of the town in her milky, silky gown with the daisies on it, and with no hat or gloves. So she turned the other way and ran out across the meadows toward the wood. She ran right into the thickest part because she did not know what her heart was made of, and she was afraid of the dragon. And there in a dell, she came upon Elfin and his 75 fine pigs. He was playing his flute, and around him, the pigs were dancing cheerfully on their hind legs. Oh dear, said the princess, do take care of me. I am so frightened of the dragon. So, it's gotten out of the silver bottle, said Elfin, wrapping his arms tight around her. I hope it's eaten the prince. No, said Sabrinetta, but why? He told her of the mean trick that the prince had played on him, and he promised me half his kingdom and the hand of his cousin, the princess, said Elfin. Oh, dear, what a shame. How dare he? It was a shame, or at least I thought so, said Elfin. But now he may keep his kingdom if I may keep what I have. What's that? asked the princess. Why, you, my dear, said Elfin. And as for the princess, his cousin, forgive me, dearest heart. But when I asked for her, I had not seen the real princess, the only princess, my princess. Do you mean me, said Sabrinetta. Who else, he asked. Yes, but five minutes ago, you hadn't seen me. Five minutes ago, I was a pig keeper. Now I've held you in my arms. I'm a prince, though I should have to keep pigs to the end of my days. But you haven't asked me, said the princess. 
You asked me to take care of you, said Elfin. And I will, all my life long. So that was settled, and they began to talk of the dragon and the prince. And all the time, Elfin did not know that this was the princess, but he knew that she had a heart of gold, and he told her so many times. The mistake, said Elfin, was in not having a dragon-proof bottle. I see that now. Oh, I can easily get you one of those, because everything in my tower is dragon-proof, she said. We ought to do something to settle the dragon and save the children. So she started off to get the bottle, and knowing she was safe, Elfin released her from his arms. She found the door of her tower open. Huh, well, it turns out the dragon had waited patiently for the prince, and the moment he opened the door and came out, only for an instant, to post a letter asking his prime minister for help, the dragon ate him. Oh, well. Then the dragon went back to the wood, because it was getting near his time to grow small for the night. Sabrinetta went in and explained to her nurse what was going to happen, and that she had a heart of gold, as Elfin had told her, so the dragon couldn't eat her. And the nurse saw, of course, the princess was quite safe, and kissed her and let her go. She took the dragon-proof bottle, made of burnished brass, and ran back to the wood where Elfin was sitting among his sleek black pigs, waiting for her. The princess sat down beside him, among the pigs, and they held each other's hands till it was dark. And then the dragon came crawling over the moss, scorching it as he came, and getting smaller as he crawled, and curled up under the root of the tree. Now then, said Elfin, you hold the bottle. Then he poked and prodded the dragon with bits of stick until it crawled into the dragon-proof bottle. Not having a way to close the bottle, Elfin said, I'll use my finger for a stopper. He did. He stuffed his finger into the top of the bottle, and the princess cried out, The sea, the sea, run for the cliffs. And off they went, with the 75 pigs trotting steadily after them in a long black procession. The bottle got hotter in Elfin's hands because the dragon inside was puffing fire and smoke with all his might. Hotter and hotter, but Elfin held on till they came to the cliff edge, and there was the dark blue sea and the whirlpool going around and around. Elfin lifted the bottle high above his head and hurled it out between the stars and the sea, and it fell, splash, in the center of the whirlpool. You've saved the country, said the princess. You've saved the children. Give me your hands. I can't, said Elfin. I shall never be able to take your dear hands again. Mine are burnt. And so they were. The princess kissed them and cried over them and tore pieces of her milky, silky gown to tie them up with. And the two went back to the tower and told the nurse all about everything. And the pigs sat outside and waited. He is the bravest man in the world, said Sabrinetta. He has saved the country 
again the small children, but oh, his hands, his poor, dear, darling hands. Here the door of the room opened, and all of the seventy-five pigs came in, a surging mass of rounded blackness, pushing and struggling to get at Elfin, to rub against him, grunting softly in the language of true affection. Sabrinetta stroked the pigs, because alas, Elfin could not. There is one cure for a dragon's burn, said Elfin, but I'd rather be burnt all over than marry anyone but you, my dear. Who must you marry to cure your dragon burns, asked Sabrinetta. A princess, that's how St. George was cured of his. Sabrinetta threw her arms around Elfin's neck and held him as though she would never let him go. Then it's all right, my dear, brave, precious Elfin, she cried. For I am a princess, and you shall be my prince. Come along, nurse. We'll go and be married this very moment. So they went, and the pigs came after moving in stately blackness two by two. And the minute he was married to the princess, Elvin's hands got quite well. And the people, who were weary of Prince Tiresome and his hippopotamuses, hailed Sabrinetta and her husband as rightful sovereigns of the land. Next morning, the prince and princess, who eventually ruled the land well and wisely, went out to see if the dragon had been washed ashore. They could see nothing of him, but when they looked out toward the whirlpool, they saw a cloud of steam, and the fishermen reported that the water for miles around was hot enough to shave with. The whirlpool is too strong for him to be able to get out of it, so there he spins around and around, forever and ever. And in the palace, all of them together, the princess, the prince, the nurse, and 75 pigs who slept in luxury in white marble styes did indeed live happily ever after. Now, drift off and sweet dreams. <laughs>